0: we Welcome to so gross, such point, much blank. I'm your host, Blake Collier, and with me is my ever intrepid co-host, Joe George. How are you doing this fine day,
1: Joe? Intrepid? Uh yeah, might as well I would not there, dis- right? I, I, I I'm sitting in my office, the same place I've been for most of the past year and a half. And I would that's not why describe I myself as intrepid. intrepid. Okay. <laughs> Stick uh, around. We need man. to talk about you're getting a dictionary for Christmas, but okay. <laughs>
2: A thesaurus might be more called for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, as you, as you heard his voice, we have a very special guest on this episode. We have Pat Jankowicz. Is that right? Am I saying Just, that right? No cigars. Okay. Jankowicz. Jankowicz. Okay. There you go. See, this is why you don't have people like me hosting podcasts. <laughs> no, no. It's an, it's an honor, you know? Uh, He's he's an author and a journalist for Fangoria, and Pat also has the distinguished status of being the brother of the late Tom Jankiewicz, the genius behind, you got it, Gross Point Blank. Uh, How are you doing this evening, Pat? I'm not
2: bad, sir. I'm not bad. How are you guys? Thank you, Blake. Thank you, Joe. Again, my sister and brother were both very touched when they heard. (laughs) I've been contacted by a
0: Gross Point Blank
1: podcast, (laughs)
0: Well, I'm I'm so glad to hear that we we have loved doing it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's one of those things. Like it was a it was a passion project for me, and so we put out a call on Twitter to see if I could get a co-host, and Joe, uh, this brave soul, answered the call. And
1: it's one of those things where, um, you know, every time we mention. that we've got a gross point blank podcast we we get excited responses because people really do love the movie even even if it's not quite right at the top tip of their tongue it's kind of one of those things where it's we we get to remind people how great the movie is and the response has been remarkable you know I've, i've not really had anybody have anything bad to say about the movie our response is always like Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's a great movie. And we're like, yeah, we know we spent a lot of time talking about it.
0: <laughs> well, uh, Pat, tell us about yourself. And then as we, we ask all of our guests, tell us about your first experience with the film gross point blank.
2: <laughs> okay. okay. The, the weird thing is, uh, uh I'm from I'm from a litter of five. There was uh, Tom. There is Diane. There's me. There's my brother Don, and my brother Stephen. We're we're big Polish, Irish, Scotch, Irish family out of Michigan. You know, we're we're from Sterling Heights. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, we came out. We, we you know what I mean? Uh, um, we came out to California. You know, and gross point blank came up at a weird point in my brother's life. My brother was always doing a lot of writing. He did a lot of copywriting. Tom had a lot of, he was working a lot of side jobs. He was substitute teaching. He was working at uh, Pick and Save, a.k.a. Big Lots. You know, I don't know if you have those mm-hmm. in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there, sure I is. think there were McFugals. There were McFugals <laughs> in Michigan, but but he was working at Big Lots, and, uh, or Pick and Save, was one of his side jobs. And he got invited. This is my first experience with Grossman Blank, which I heard from him. <laughs> He was yeah. working at he was working like four jobs and he was writing on the side. He was copywriting. He wow. was he was running stuff for this and for that. And he got an invitation to his high school reunion. And the, the letter is pretty much as you hear it in the movie. And really? it was from a girl. It was from a girl named Arlene oslott Joseph who became oslott Joseph <laughs> in the film. You know, and th- th- that letter that letter kind of knocked him on his ass because he wasn't where he wanted to be. And it's like, Oh mm. my God. Oh my. God. And the, he felt this angst over it. You know what I mean? I mean, mm. he felt, he felt a sense of angst over the invitation and, you know, he was working, he was literally working a late night job and doing this other stuff and something and he channeled and he bought a ticket to the, the reunion and he you know, and then he opted not to go. You know, he—I I told him he chickened out, and instead he said, "If I went, it would have been boring and sad." He goes, "But I let—he let his imagination take him away, and, and he invented himself as this mysterious hitman who goes back." Debbie was based on a girl named Debbie who went to Bishop Foley with him. Paul. Paul was based on his best friend, Paul, from Bishop Foley. Yeah, and the, I mean, the radio station and everything else were all in his script. And it was just, to him, it was one of these things where it just hit him, you know? And he just poured it all. Mm. I remember when he was so proud of the title. We were, we we're on a walk, and he looks at me and my brother, John and Steve, my brother's Don and Steve, and he goes, gross point blank. That's the time. And, uh, I know it's a great time, but what? What's the project? <laughs> he was no, no, no. Let me have this for a minute. Gross point blank. And then he goes, and and then it was like, it was like automatic writing. I can still remember sitting on a bench. We, we would go on walks. My brothers and I would mm-hmm. go on walks, and it was like automatic writing. And he sits on this bench, and he goes, it's a hitman. He goes, a hitman. He goes. He has a beach house. He has nothing but black suits in his in his uh, in his closet. And it was just he was building it every day, and then it just it leapt out of him like an animal. It just came wow. out. The grocer character by like Dan Aykroyd was originally called Pincer, you know, yeah. and Pinscher, like a Doberman Pincher was his name, <laughs>
0: yeah. you
2: know. And it just it was so weird because it was. He it was there there are so many autobiographical elements in it. It's almost a home movie to your family. And that I mean, sounds, it really, sounds like
0: a love letter.
2: It really it was a love letter to Michigan, which he had no intention of going back to Michigan. But he loved Michigan. He loved Michigan as, it's set in Gross Point because Gross Point is like the the Beverly Hills of Michigan. That's where you know, that's where all the mobsters and all the automobile executives live. <laughs> And there was a yes. there was a quote by Jack Kerouac he really liked, which was I think he mentions it in the Gross Point Blank press notes. But the quote he had the the quote above his computer while he was running it was Jack Kerouac quote which was there is no tragedy in Gross Point, you know. And, <laughs> and I mean, you know, that's a great one. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and so Big Lots, a lot of a lot of uh, and Big Lots, his manager's name was Marcella. And a lot of the interplay between him and Mar a lot and when he wrote this script, Marcella, even though it's named after his manager at Big Lots and Pickens, Marcella was based on my sister Diane, which is why he was so excited when Kuzak's when Kuzak's sister was cast, because yeah, whether they knew it or not, they were playing into the dynamic he wrote it for, you know.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. I love that description of uh, of Gross Point as as the Beverly Hills of Michigan. That's I, I've been trying since we started this to try to describe to to, to Blake and to anybody that we uh, interview, you know, how did what's Gross Point like? And I yeah, the best way I can describe it is every time I met somebody that was. A little bit snobby, a little bit full of themselves. In fact, they tell me, "Well, I'm from Gross Point," and so I was, "Oh, okay, yeah, no, no, bing, I get bing, it." Bing, <laughs> yeah. Say no I, more.
2: <laughs> usually, usually, people who aren't from Gross Point don't have a group of drivers, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so Pat, tell us a little bit about your brother Tom. What was he like? Uh, and tell us some stories about him.
2: Oh, okay. happily. He's not here to stop me. <laughs> Tom was my big brother. I, I I loved him. I looked up to him. You know what I mean? I mean, he, he basically taught me how to write. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. Tom was one of those guys. I, I write for a bunch of magazines in the U.S. and England. And I remember when I was doing a book. I was doing a book on The Incredible Hulk, which Tom had no interest in. You know what I mean? I mean, but he... he he sat there on the bench. We always we always walked to this park, and, and we sit. And he would sit on the bench. And again, it was almost like automatic writing. He would just kind of lean his head back, and he would dictate what you should say. And he wrote this great opening that I used word for word. I mean, it was just the smartest, funniest. He was really he was really great at off the cuff remarks. He was very shy in person. That's one reason he skipped. Even though he's as tall as I was, you know, about six eight. Wow. Even though he's as tall as I was, he he was very shy. You know what I mean? I mean, and it was weird. And one of the one of the touching things about Crosspoint Blank and what what it did for him, he was an insomniac. He was always running. I, I I do too. It's in the middle of the night writing. Tom would be writing away at three o'clock in the morning and he would get a phone call I, this happened more than once somebody had seen gross point blank on cable looked him up and even though he wasn't listed they would find him they would find a number for him and they would call and they would say I just saw gross point blank can I talk to you and when he wrote when he wrote he again the gross point blank what what he was going through was what he called the the mid 20s breakdown you know, when you finish college and you think you have all the answers, and then you go out in the world and you don't know a damn thing, mm-hmm. you know, and you feel kind of unmoored and lost. And people who are going to that phase would see the movie, they would call him up in the middle of the night, and Tom joked. Tom joked, we were working on a couple of things, and he go, he goes, Let me go talk in the garage. I gotta talk somebody off the ledge. <laughs> you know? Oh wow. Yeah, wow. So, you know, Because what he did when he was going to that 20-something breakdown, he wrote Gross Point Blank. Yeah. And one of the things he regretted is after he wrote Gross, he got a lot of rewrite work where, you know, they would send him a scene here and there and hunch up. Mm -hmm. But he was was always bummed because he was taking quick gigs like that. He sold a script for a lot of money to Steven Spielberg that it was just snake bit. It was Mm -hmm. called Come to the Theater. And it went for a lot of money and it was, he purchased it and went for a lot of money and they kept, they kept, what happened with, with that, with the Kung Fu Theater, it was about a, a slacker comic book artist who gets pulled into the middle during the, he gets pulled into his TV during the middle of his favorite 70s Kung Fu movie and he takes it over because he's seen it so many times. <laughs> so he, he aces out the hero. It's, it's this badly dubbed, uh, It's this badly dubbed Chinese movie. He becomes the hero. And it was kind of the Matrix meets Enter the Dragon, you know, with a, you know, with a, a Pleasantville meets Enter the Dragon, I think was the pitch. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, and that became, that became, he used to joke that became his job because there were so many big names involved with it. And then there was bird flu going around when they're going to shoot in mainland mm-hmm. China. And, and then they had a, they had a big, big comedian the star in it. But he didn't tell the studio about his heart problem, and once oh. they were started pulling him thirty feet in the air to do wire work, suddenly he was going unconscious. Wow. Oh you know, my! So you, can, you can imagine Tom's joy to find this. Out. Oh jeez! Oh,
1: okay.
2: For a while, for a while it was going to be Jamie Fox who Tom Tom dug him in collateral and all this other. So yeah. So Jamie Fox wasn't the guy passing out. The guy passing out, unfortunately. You know that was they would they would literally cast different people. And then they would mm-hmm. come back to Tom and they tell Tom, "Okay, uh change it for this comedian." And he would do And he was getting great money. He goes, "I could rewrite this script for the rest of my life." <laughs> <You know? laughs> so he, you know, again he was shy, but he liked he he liked the notoriety of Gross Point Blank. He always turned down interviews. You know, the, the night he died, my my college campus was uh, there was a psychiatrist doing a psychology class called Identity mm. I and mean, the Identity in Film. And you would look at the film and see how characters wrestled with the, the subject of who they are and identity in film. And the week before, they had one of the cast members of John Carpenter's The Thing, you know, who am I? Who? Are you who you say you are, kind of thing. Yeah. And the the dark, Professor James Coffin loved Gross Point Blank because it also tackles identity. He's not sure he's one thing to the public, he's another thing in private, mm-hmm. and it's all about you know it's all about him trying to come to terms with the two sides to him. And yeah, that was Tom processing his mid twenties breakdown. You know, mm-hmm. my class reunion is coming up and. And a lot of that, a lot of his lines are directly from the script. You know, uh, they'll have kids and dogs. I killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. How have you been? (laughs) And My father didn't like the, I killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. How have you been? And suggested he changed it. And when the trailer came out, he whispered to my father. They were seeing some other movie. And then when that trailer came on, He goes. If I listened to you, Pop, I would have cut "May the Force be with you" out of my (laughs) Star (laughs) Wars.
1: Oh, that is such a great line, too. Boy, I'm so glad he didn't cut it because one of the things that we usually do with the interviews is we talk to people who watch the movie for the first time, and uh, you know we always ask them what what line stood out at you, and that. I think Blake clerk me if I'm yeah. wrong, but every time that's one that pops yeah. out there. They people love that line. That's something such a good line.
0: Some, something about that dialogue between uh between Martin and Dr. Oatman. Like that I most people will mention that as as kind of a height uh in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. So yeah. Yeah, it's
2: it's a, funnily, in the original script, Dr. Oatman's name was Dr. Jankiewicz, which was the uh Polish pronunciation of our name. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so it was like Yankovic, you know what I mean? I mean, uh, uh, yeah. the, the, funny, the funny thing about that is Alan Arkin was just the coolest. And, and Tom oh. was so happy, especially his performance. The line, go to the reunion, don't kill anyone. See how it feels. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> that, and that, the, no, no, no. That's right from the script. So Tom was so happy. No, no, no. And Arkin's performance was so great. And he got to talk to him and tell him that at the uh, at the premiere, you know?
0: Okay. Oh man, that's so cool.
2: I mean, when I think of the premiere, I think of there was this after party in Westwood. I'm watching Drew Barrymore dance with Dr. McSteamy while they're beaming, <laughs> they're beaming, uh, they're beaming the logo gross point blank on the skylight. We have two <laughs> flutes of champagne. We're watching Drew Barrymore dance. And I whisper to Tom, we have these champagne flutes, and we're Behind this is all of Westwood, you know, because it was at the Disney Theater, it was at the Crest, and everyone walked down to the after party. And I looked into this, I looked at the entire room, and I said, Tom, I just want to remind you, everyone is here, everyone is dancing, because you wrote this at 3 o'clock in the morning in your underpants. And he goes, I would tell them, but I don't think they'd be as proud of it as I am. (laughs) Oh,
0: my gosh. (laughs) So... You told me offline that of your siblings, you know the timeline of of Tom and Gross Point Blank. Can you give us kind of the uh, the reader's digest of that story of the development of of the of the movie and and how much part you played in the whole making of it? And uh, if we hear something along the way we want to explore a bit more, then we'll 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 ask you to, to expound. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, as a little brother,
2: I like tagged along on some of the meetings and stuff. You know what I mean? Awesome. I remember when it came up on the walk and he turned to my brother Stephen and I and, and started talking about it. And then when he started expounding on it, he basically used us as sounding boards. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He was he was suggesting this and that. And I mean, to him, to him, it was he told me if he'd gone to the reunion, he never would have written. it. He said skipping the reunion was the smartest thing he did because he wrote this instead. You know, when he was running this thing, he was basically running it for himself. He started getting these. He started getting meetings on it. Kiefer Sutherland was very interested in it, and mm-hmm. I eventually did Truth or Consequences, New Mexico instead. It mm-hmm. almost went with him, and I remember he liked. He really liked the, how tough Keeper Sutherland would have been with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, I mean, mm. and he was. And it looked like they were going to do Jennifer Grey as Debbie. She was really mm-hmm. excited about because he 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 felt Debbie had to be. You know, Debbie Debbie had to be that classic eighties beauty like Jennifer Grey. You know. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So when when they when they proposed that, he's like he was all in. You know. <laughs> was like, oh boy, this is. So when he did the meetings, Kuzak came around. So it was, it was, let's see, it was Kuzak. There was one other company I'm trying to remember the name of. Pretty good for remembering everything. But uh, <laughs> so, when, with the Kuzak thing coming off of Con Air and stuff, he went with that. And I know, yeah, and since Kuzak had an immediate link at Disney, that seemed to be the way oh, to go. Because yeah. Disney, you know, Disney is going to make sure you get the theaters.
0: <laughs> yeah. <exactly>. Yeah.
2: Because. <laughs> I mean, because with the, with the Keeper selling thing, it was heading for MGM UA, which went into bankruptcy. Oh,
0: wow. I mean, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, unfortunately, nobody saw Truth or Consequences New in Mexico because the studio was literally hemorrhaging, you know?
1: Yeah,
2: God, yeah. So, and whatever you want to say about Disney, I mean, the trailer was fantastic. The logo is beautiful. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. soundtrack is killer, you know?
0: soundtrack
1: yeah. is amazing,
2: yep. You know, and so... So for him, it became it became this weird thing because he became Joe Michigan, which <laughs> <laughs> and again half the three o'clock in the morning calls are from people in Michigan and stuff. And the <laughs> other half all the time. That happened to him more than once. So when it went there, it, it went there and it, there was there was hits and misses. And they did some running on it and they tried to turn the psychiatrist. They tried to turn the psychiatrist into more of an Iron John guy. They tried mm-hmm. to turn him into a. Ki- there was one weird version they they tried where the before Armitage brought it back to what Tom had. They were gonna have they they were gonna have the Alan Arkin character dressed as a cowboy with cow skulls all over his pocket. <laughs>
1: so, uh, I mean, Whoa! Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah so, you know well, I'm mean? glad Armitage brought it back then because <laughs> no. I. I, I you cannot see that.
2: Yeah, I still have that version somewhere on the shelf. So, yeah, that was like Tom was not thrilled. I think he actually had some rum that night. Oh, man. No kidding. He was, oh, God. Yeah. And but he was he liked Armitage's work. Armitage had done Ar- Armitage had done Miami Blues, which Tom really admired and thought he was the mm-hmm. right director for. It.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and he liked Susan Arnold. Uh, uh, Susan Arnold and, uh, yeah Donna Donna Arkoff Roth and Susan Arnold were great, and we mm-hmm. liked them. I remember we spent time talking to them. Donna Arkoff Roth, her dad was the premier Samuel Z. Arkoff, who was the head of the creator of AIP Pictures, American International.
0: Oh wow! Okay.
2: And I mean, he tried to bring Godzilla to America, but he out, got outbid. But he did all the other Godzilla, any exploitation movie you liked. Arkoff oh, wow. was involved with. That's awesome. Armitage okay. made, and Armitage made a lot of them, so he was really excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom was really happy with Jamie. Jamie Anderson was the the DP on mm-hmm. it. Who shot mm-hmm. Piranha? He did a lot of great Carmen movies. He mm-hmm. gave it that candy-colored '80s look. Tom was very happy with the uh, Jamie Anderson's work on it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: and so it came out, and I remember. I remember I went to a screening of of uh, uh when when they said April 11th. I for Fangoria I went to a screening of Anaconda before it oh. came out. And they said they said uh and I I was walking past the marketing execs and one of them goes we're going to open it April 11th and uh, you know I, I couldn't help myself I go you you can't open it April 11th that's when gross Point Plan comes out. <laughs> and they look at me and they go, "We're not worried."
1: <laughs> oh, oh, oh. No. and of
2: course, Anaconda is Jaws, and the snake the snake crushes a Black Panther, which every fourteen year old boy in America wanted to see. And the fact, Black Panther's just- eye pops out. You're not gonna top that.
0: Now that, you, now that you say that, I didn't go see that in theaters. James, when it James, <laughs> James you know, If my brother hadn't had a movie out that weekend, I would have paid to see
2: it too. I mean, come on, the, the Black Panther's eye shoot, the Jaguar's eye shoots out of head. That's everything you want in a movie. So, you know, it's pure but cinema. Remember, it's... <laughs> I remember coming home and telling Tom bad news, that big snake movie that I told you was so great. He goes, yeah. What's up against your movie? (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, Tom, Tom always had a gallows, gallows, uh, Tom always had a gallows sense of humor anyway. So he's like, well, I guess I'll have to discover it on cable.
0: (laughs) 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 You know, some of the best discoveries happen on cable anyway, so. (laughs) It's true. And, And Tom was, Tom was a big Tom was
2: a big film buff. He liked hitman movies, and he always got mad about hitman movies and TV shows. He always hated hmm. the hit. Uh, he he was really upset by Road to Perdition with Tom Hanks. Oh yeah, really. And Tom and Tom and researched hitman, and he couldn't understand why Tom Hanks, is the notorious hitman, would go into restaurant after restaurant and sit with his back to the door oh yeah (laughs) he goes it's a three hour movie where the hitman sits with his back to the door what the hell dark holiday you know so
0: he should have written tom hanks and told him man didn't you see gross point blank
2: (laughs) (laughs) well you know what he liked he liked when he liked when gross point blank would influence other other stuff Mm -hmm. and and i just yeah he's gone now but there's a great director named cal newman and uh, Cal Newman did a movie called Fanboys.
0: Oh, Cal yeah, yeah.
2: I caught a movie. I caught a movie of his. I never seen. Uh, I saw it on the cable, unfortunately. But it was called. Uh, it's a great movie. It's, it's Haley Steinfeld and and Samuel L. Jackson, and it's called Barely Lethal. Oh, and I a, know
1: of it. Yeah,
2: she's a she's a teenage hit girl who goes back to regular high school. and he he throws it's a great movie and he throws in three or four nods to gross there's even a visual cue to gross i literally i took a break i've been working on my fourth book i came down to take a break grab some water and i turned on hbo and this thing started and it's like oh my god and i thought not only was he true to the premise he homaged it and it was so I got it. Kyle Newman, if you're watching this, God bless you, man. Uh, the, you know, <laughs> I was really touched to see a gross point Black nod, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I I feel like we're at the the verge of more of those happening, too. I mean, I've I've kind of thrown this out before, and I know it's self-serving because we have the podcast, but really- No, no, no. Keep the podcast going, please. The
2: Jaguars family is pleased.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's that. but it feels like it's it's the, the movie's rife for rediscovery and re re reappreciation like I said nobody we've ever talked to has disliked it and in fact there's quite that opposite where there's a sort of dawning like this this was a remarkable film even for people who aren't from Michigan it's <laughs> moving and striking and 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 it's it, it's right on that level of getting that sort of I think we're gonna see more nods, is what I guess I'm saying inarticulately. Well, Joe, so I hope so.
2: But well, the Joe, the Michiganisms, you gotta get the Michiganisms <laughs>
1: right, you know. They and they I do. Remember,
2: yeah. I remember Tom, there was a show on there was a show on that uh called Detroit 187.
0: Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and Tom looked at the pilot and I said, Do you wanna write for them? Do you want to pitch them? And he watched the first five minutes of the pilot. And he goes, I'm walking away. And I go, and he, what did it for him? Is there's two cops in the Detroit squad car. Cop one says to cop two, "Hand me my soda, will
1: you? Oh uh, my goodness, that's no and good.
2: anybody <laughs> in Michigan knows the only word for soda is pop. Pop. Yep. <laughs> I mean, if you look at if you look at Tarantino, Tarantino gets Detroit right one of my brothers worked on one of my brothers worked on a thing with tarantino my brother don worked on a thing with tarantino and he walked up to tarantino to talk about true romance because mm-hmm. donald was sure he got all the michiganisms right in true romance <laughs> and tarantino got so excited and started telling donald i'm a native californian but one of my roommates was from michigan
0: and i worked <laughs> with
2: him at a video store and he goes I just started running all the Michiganisms down. <laughs> you know, you know, Joe. Where do you buy your alcohol?
1: Oh, well, I'm a teetotaler, so I, I'm not going to be able to answer that one for you.
2: <laughs> when you drank as a young, as a young, uh, st- as a young high schooler, where did your booze come from?
1: And I didn't drink as a, a, a high schooler. I'm very boring.
2: <laughs> wow. Okay. The, the correct word is party store.
1: Everything you buy, oh, from sure. The party store, you
2: know? Yeah yeah but even if you but part joe even as a non-drinker you should know that shame on
1: you <laughs> yeah well i i didn't know you called it anything else what else would you call it
2: yeah i, I was in fifth grade and i remember one of my teachers telling a friend i can't wait to go to the party store and yeah. then, then i started hearing it over and over
1: party stores where you buy booze not balloons you know yeah oh
0: man well,
1: i didn't know you called it anything else <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> well there's what we call it a liquor store
2: um, no, yeah! See, see, that's 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 out of that's out of state stuff. I mean, yeah, it's exactly. like your portable, yeah. it's like your portable Michigan roadmap. You have you know, when, when you meet anyone out here, yep. And you said where you're from. When they tell you from, they're from Michigan. You hold it up, and yep. they point where it is on your finger <laughs> on yep. Your
1: yep, it's right there. Yeah, that's yep, awesome. <laughs> so, uh, did,
0: did Tom have any negative experiences in the whole process, uh, or were they just the typical compromise sort?
2: No, well, there was always your typical compromise sort. There was always people who would forget he existed when they were insisting mm-hmm. it was a. Uh, there was a, a bunch of articles where they were literally, uh, where they would literally, oh, we just stop this up, uh, you know, and and that, you know, I mean, he again, he was shy anyway, but that always offended him. Yeah. And you know, it's just it's bad manners. You know? don't pretend you're, mm-hmm. you know, you came up with something that there's a writer. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm, it still mm-hmm. it still
2: happens to this day. I mean, uh, uh, you'll see TV Now, once he died, you know, once he died, direct his name won't appear on the TV thing. Like, somebody made sure his name doesn't appear. And it's my, like he my. saw a story lead screenplay. I mean, it's that sort of thing, which, once his death was public, it was like, OK, you know what I mean? I mean, so yeah. that sort of thing. But, he would always joke about it, you know, the writer in Hollywood kind of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And mm-hmm. To him, you know, to him, it's just common courtesy and manners, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: that, so, th- that makes complete sense. Uh, and and uh, the first time I saw the movie was on DirecTV. And so, yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the fact that, like, yeah, I mean, the fact that like, at that time, I didn't, like, you know, I watched it probably a couple times when it was on DirecTV, and I didn't I don't think I paid attention to who directed it or who wrote it or anything like that. I just knew they had John Cusack and May Driver, and that's all I cared about. So,
2: <laughs> well, you know, we were really excited uh, with, with the movie. We were really excited. They actually shot it about fifteen minutes from us. So, oh, wow! Okay. There, the, we actually took pictures of Tom with the Gross Point with the Gross Point, Michigan sign. And it, it's funny because they shot it in Monrovia about ten minutes from where we lived. You know what I mean? Okay. And so it was, all oh, by the way, this kills him as well because it gets eclipsed by another Michigan movie. This place in Monrovia, this exact street in Monrovia is where they shot a better known Michigan movie called American Pie. Oh, <laughs>
1: oh yeah, 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 No, yeah. so
2: the, the restaurant, <laughs> I, I think the restaurant either is either next door or the same one. The, the restaurant with the Niagara Falls sign from, from American Pie, I think is where Martin goes to the party and meets the when Martin goes for the drink and it's the hippo or whatever. And, oh the, you know, yeah. the mm-hmm. hippo club. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Cause I know they couldn't, they weren't allowed to they, when they were they were actually thinking at one point of doing it, there's almost no Michigan. There's like two days of Michigan second unit footage in mm-hmm. the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it always you'll see long short drive, it always made my father excited. Because you can see Bill Kennedy's house. Do you guys know who Bill Kennedy is?
0: Mm-hmm. I don't. Know. I know the name, but that's it.
2: ask, ask Bruce Campbell. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bruce will do no no. Bruce will do the most devastating imitation of Bill Kennedy. <laughs> Bill Kennedy was this old drunk. He was this old drunk on Michigan TV. And he used to host okay. he was a bit. He was a big player. And uh, you know, he was he, he he like uh, uh he was look him up, Bill Kennedy. I think in Dark Victory, where, where Betty Davis gets the brain tumor, Bill uh-huh. Bill Kennedy's the guy who who jilts her when he finds out she's dying.
0: Bill
1: <laughs> Kennedy,
2: he's always the fourth guy in the western. Like, yeah, let's have a, Somebody, you know, you'll have Spencer Tracy go, let's 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 round him up boys. Bill Kennedy will be the third guy to go. Yeah, like Santa Fe Trail or something. <laughs> <laughs> Al Flynn. You know, Elwin, Elwin will say. You know, what everyone knows bill kennedy for ironically is not for a space at all bill kennedy at the movies was on detroit tv for 40 years bill wow. uh, uh, bruce campbell does the most perfect imitation sam Raimi will do a okay impression but <laughs> if you want the good bill kennedy impression you gotta talk to bruce campbell bruce campbell okay. will make you even though you don't know who the hell I'm talking about, you'll feel like you're sitting in the same room as Bill Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, the great thing about the great thing about Bill Kennedy is you don't know his face at all. You know his voice. Uh, He's yeah. the guy who says faster than a spinning bullet, more power. Oh, than the okay. Than the, the classic oh, Superman TV show. Gotcha. that's Bill Kennedy.
1: Okay. Yeah. By the okay. way, the
2: story of Bill, story of Bill Kennedy's life. He went to audition for Superman nobody would confuse bill kennedy with superman but the guy goes let's get that guy with let's get that guy with the deep voice back to do the opening <laughs> so you'll see bill kennedy's house in the opening and closing moments of gross point blank which thrilled the late great tony jankowitz my father
1: oh that's awesome <laughs> that's great
0: i love
2: it you know and and it's weird because tom never went back and he never went back to any classroom you know, or anything and he, he was just—he was honored that it became this iconic Michigan thing. You know what I mean? I mean, he would—you know—when when the Detroit News, the Detroit Free Press would call him every once in a while, and yeah. he wouldn't mm-hmm. take the call. He was just pleased they were calling. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh,
1: well, that is a Midwestern think... approach there. That's great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I made him—I made him talk to the Warren Weekly. You know, I made him. Okay. Uh, I think the Warren weekly and the girl from the Warren weekly went to work for the Detroit free press. Ah, and when Tom died, mm-hmm. the Detroit free press had a Michigan native who wrote gross point blank, who came in, created gross point blank passes. He would have been touched by that. The idea yeah. that he was above the, uh, the, the idea of being above the headline, in the Detroit free press, we got the free press. So that would have been a big thing for him. You know That's what I awesome. mean? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: That's beautiful. Thank you. And, and again, again, he would have been. He wouldn't have come on, but he would have been <laughs> very. <given him. laughs> what well, you,
0: you mean? You mean to tell me that you couldn't have coaxed him on here? Well, you know, my,
2: one of my best friends wanted to do a story on him for the paper, for the uh-huh. local paper, and Dave Allen did a tribute call when Tom died, but it wasn't any. You know, it wasn't. You'll find it if you if you uh, if you do a Google search for Tom's name. Again, he would have been touched by this. I wouldn't have been able to talk him into it, but he would. He would. He liked the idea of it being acknowledged. You know what I mean? I mean, he was yeah. very touched by that. I mean, he, he'd say to me after a three o'clock in the morning call with somebody who was having a dark night in the soul. He goes, "They needed somebody to listen." You know what I mean? And he goes, "So I listened and I threw in, you know, little bits of advice here and there." You know what I mean? I mean, but he goes, "He goes, it's the same angst I was hit with." You know? And he goes he basically would tell them, you have to find something to channel it into, you know? Yeah. He goes, you can't just brood. He goes, if you brood, you're going to tear yourself apart. He goes, find yeah. yourself an outlet for it. I mean, we all remember that feeling when you thought you were going to conquer the world mm-hmm. and then you have uncertainty and, you
1: know.
0: Yeah.
2: It, that's where that sprang from. You know what I mean? I mean, then, yeah. you know.
1: That's yeah. remarkable that, that he was so empathetic to... To spend time with these people who are calling him, I mean, it's just the the existence of the movie itself has helped so many people, and then on top of that, that he would he would take the time to talk to these folks who are just calling him. That's that speaks a lot to his character. What a what a remarkable man. Yeah,
2: yeah, it was because this is a guy who didn't like public speaking. Again, the the night the night uh, of the morning, Professor Kaufman called him. My brother Don told him, "You gotta do it. That's Pat and Steve's college. You know what I mean? You can't turn it down." And it was a showing of gross, which was really weird for him to, you know what I mean? I mean, I remember in the first five minutes, he whispers to me at the, as the screening was starting. The, you know, these are a bunch of millennials. They immediately laughed at the size of Martin Blank's cell phone. I mean, whispers <laughs> to me. He whispers in my ear, this is gonna be a long night. <laughs> he had no idea, they did I, of course. You know. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, it was it was so weird that because he'd been our father had died the, the night I lost Tom, that we lost Tom, our father had died two months earlier, ironically, on my birthday, you know, and it was mm-hmm. totally unexpected. So he'd been kind of depressed and sad. And my brother Don proposed it. You know, when they when Professor Kaufman called him to do the radio show to do to speak to the class, he talked Tom into it and Tom left. And then I called and I didn't realize he was doing it. I said, well, I I go, "Uh, well, swing by. I'll come along. And he goes, well, why should I bring you, you know, typical big brother? (laughs) because <laughs> you won't remember shit you'll need me to tell you and he goes okay I'm on my way <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so it was, it was a wild night because he it was weird because he just started he'd been working quietly on something he was really excited about and mm-hmm. did not finish and ironically the, the, the same the same project he was working on is now being done by the makers of Hacksaw Ridge he was working oh. on a, a real it was, it was, he was working on a real life story about a guy, it, my father was an aer- an aerospace engineer. And so we knew a lot of cool aerospace people through that. And, you know, these are guys, nobody asks their story. You know what I mean? Everyone's eyes guys over at a bunch of engineers. But if you talk to engineers, they have really great stories. And we're at some, we're at some party and with a bunch of aerospace engineers. And one of them looks at us and, and started telling us the story of the Gainesboro, North Carolina nuke incident, Goldsboro, Goldsboro nuke incident, which they're now the makers for Hacksaw Bridge are doing. And Tom got really excited and started running it. Basically, back in the early 60s, when Kennedy was president, the night of Kennedy's JFK's inauguration, a plane went down carrying two nukes. One was recovered. The other was never found. And he went crazy with that. It was really exciting to see him, because he'd been in a so after after our dad died. You can imagine, mm-hmm. and you know, and then dealing with all the, you know, mm-hmm. so when he got started on Goldsboro, he was never more excited. He was doing interviews about it. He was taking notes. It was it was something really near and dear to his heart, you know. And, mm-hmm. and he and it had just been declassified recently. It had just been declassified, like. Two months earlier, and that's when we were at the party, and the guy told us about this. And Tom was just sparked. You know what I mean? I mean, he goes, "It's it's uh, it's, it's Jack Ryan," but he was making it a '60s. It's the Madman era. Was so this this poor engineer is. Try- Everybody else is James Bond, and this poor engineer is just trying <laughs> to in the new. And it was really yeah. funny. And uh, our agent was really excited about it. And uh, unfortunately. Right before he passed, there was like a wave of deaths, including the unexpected death of our agent, Karen Borman, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. Queen of Specs. So it was, it was literally, but he was literally so excited. He hadn't been that jazzed about anything writing wise in a while. He'd do he'd do his mm-hmm. usual rewrite stuff and he'd do stuff here and there, mm-hmm. but he really sparked the Goldsboro project. And he you know, so it was, it was exciting because again, he'd been writing every six months. He would get a really great check to rewrite all the jokes for Kung Fu Theater, mm. and then he'd get another great check. Well, the first comedian is back in the movie. Could you put all their jokes back? <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, uh, John. Hey, John. What was the name of the guy from Spawn? John. John. What's his name? The John. Hey, you guys. What's the name of the guy from the uh, the Sean Penn Al Pacino movie?
1: Um, John Belushi P- movie. Yeah, the guy who shoots John the- P- at
2: the, end of the movie. Spoiler alert, by the way. But you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I'm
2: trying to think of what's the name of the movie. John Leguizamo wanted to do it. Oh, really oh
0: okay, gotcha. You okay. know,
2: and, and John Leguizamo wanted to do it, and the Wayans brothers wanted to do it, and oh. I think as Tom's from a family of brothers, he's like, oh yes, yes, the so Wayans <laughs> brothers, are <away." laughs> they got it. it he went to he went to the meeting with the Wayans brothers on Kung Fu Theater, and and loved loved the Wayans brothers. Loved all of them. Thought they were terrific. He said, he goes, they love the same things we do. That was his big excitement. He goes, their office is covered in Scarface posters, which made Tom love Damon, Marlon, and and King of the Ivory immediately. He, he said, you know, and and whenever they were whenever they find a location. It was bird flu that year. This is long before Mm. our current pandemic, but the the the, the Asian continent was riddled with bird flu, and they kept because they needed a village. I mean, the 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 punchline of the script is there is a warlord. There there is a Mandarin in the village who trains everyone, and he's been waiting to find this guy. This this legendary Mandarin. And when Eddie, Eddie, the comic book artist, finally gets to the palace to meet this mysterious Mandarin, it's David Carradine. And David oh, Carradine wow. has like seven, David Carradine has seven wives. And I interviewed David Carradine for Fangoria, and he told me it was the best script he'd ever read. <laughs> oh. And ironically, everything, you you know, a lot of the stuff he wanted to do in that wound up going with him to kill Bill. He was, because he yeah. goes, the whole thing that he goes, the whole Asian philosophy and stuff, because every time he was going to do the movie, it stalled out. But mm-hmm. he was going to be the secret. You were going to see this funny guest star in the middle of the movie, which would be David Carradine, you know, and they would show <laughs> mm-hmm. Eddie how to fight. And the budget, the budgets, the director, everything, the, the project was so snake bit.
0: Oh, man. You that know, was like it was going, be, going to
2: be Oh, trust me, you guys. At one part, <laughs> they were going to use the village. They were going to redress the village from Memoirs of a Geisha, you know.
1: Let's <laughs> <laughs> get some use out of that. No okay. <laughs> yeah, so Kung, yeah. Fu Theater,
2: Kung Fu Theater is literally, it, it broke his heart. I mean, oh. he, he got more money on that than any previous project, but it came, it kept coming close and it just didn't come together, which broke. He loved He loved every six months getting a check. He was very happy sure. with that. Sure,
1: sure, <laughs> sure. But it sounds like it's a loss for the rest of us, then, because that sounds like a, a great film.
2: Yeah, it would it would have been amusing, you know. It would, it would have been different, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh,
0: so we know that Steve Pink and John Cusack made some changes to the script uh, when they came on on a board. Uh, what can you tell us about the original script? How was how it? What were the major differences?
2: He was at one point. He's watching MTV with the sound off. Uh, I think this is when you first before you meet Martin Blank in action. He's watching MTV with the sound off. He has a dozen black suits, identical black suits, and his uh, <laughs> uh uh the main the main difference is uh uh one of the big reveals is that the Debbie character had a baby had and, and oh. the, the Debbie character you know had a son named Fletcher you know who was like oh. six or seven and a lot of that's yeah. funneled a lot of Martin's comments on that were funneled and it may or may or may or may not be his I think was the mm-hmm. uh, the you know. And, gotcha. you know, and the, 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 uh, what's the K. Todd Callan from Buffy the Vampire Slayer is one mm. of the feds. And the other one is, uh, uh I want to say the guy from the birdcage, Hank area from the Simpsons. And gotcha. in the original, in the original script, their names are Abel and Baker and they're a man and a woman, oh. you know, the, the, Tom's original script. They're a man and a woman and they own, and, and, you see them watching Martin courting Debbie. Everything K Todd Kellan says to Hank Azaria, oh, he's using her, that dirty dog, it's gonna be so good to gun him down. That's all, that's originally, that was a woman saying those words. That's why it's a, <laughs> it's a male. They're watching Martin rehook up with Debbie. And like all of Debbie's friends and father in the movie, they don't know what his intentions are. But the female federal agent, is very much against you. Know, she's very much against Martin hooking up with uh, Demi, <laughs> means, you know, it's a woman's point of view, and you can yeah. hear those lines. If you listen to K Todd Callan's lines, you can hear it from a woman's point of view, which is what they're originally written from,
0: you know. Yeah. And, and, oh man, that's
1: hilarious. Yeah. I'm gonna have to watch
0: yeah. back just to just to I know,
1: imagine that. <laughs> it's, <the same> thing. <laughs> yeah. it's gonna add a whole new dimension to those scenes. <laughs> <laughs> The radio
2: station used to belong to Paul before they give the tall oh. Paul the dealership. The, okay. the radio station was was Paul's radio, Paul Swariki. Don, what was Paul's real name? Yeah, Paul Swiderski, which is, in the original script, it actually has Paul's name, Paul Swiderski. You, you know, and Debbie, oh, awesome. the girl he went to school with, I think was Debbie Niedermiller, and they changed it to. I think he changed it to Debbie Niedermeyer so he wouldn't get sued. And then it became <laughs> Debbie Newberry when they made it. Yeah. So all, again, it's with the, all the elements are there. Everything in the movie is pretty much one variation or another from the script. The radio station, okay. it was always about a hitman coming home for his high school reunion
1: mm-hmm. and
2: finding the girl. And Marcella's name, of course, was unchanged. So Paul, yeah. Paul Sparicky was Paul Swiderski after Tom's best friend and uh, Debbie Niedermeyer instead of Debbie Newberry. Let's see, the, they added the stuff on the mother. There was the, the, I think the mother was dead in Tom's draft, right? Yeah, the parents were dead. The, the we liked the ultimart stuff. They added the ultimart stuff where the, uh, yeah. uh, the, the home is now a Seven Eleven. That yeah, was added by them. It was George Armitage who came with the idea of, George Armitage had known and worked with Samuel Jackson and those guys. That's why he added the uh gross part. Uh, that's why he added the pulp fiction standee in the, in the <laughs> oh,
0: okay. Know? We were wondering you know? about that actually, uh, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and Armitage told us that Tarantino was going to do a cameo in the Ultimart, but oh, that, that wow. didn't pan out. Wow, know? oh,
0: that was cool!
2: So, <laughs> I know, would that been cool? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that'd been amazing. But I mean, the, the way to tell there, there was a jauntiness. The there, Tom of Tom had a jauntiness as a person you can see in the movie that comes in the script. Mm. If you want to see the same idea, if you weren't involved, look at Warren Corporate, but you had nothing to do it. You know,
1: mm.
2: you know what I mean. Oh, I mean, well, yeah. so um, he still had a fight at the he he doesn't fight the hitman at the at the prom, and Tom's version the guy from Walking Dead tries to pick a fight with Martin, and he doesn't he used to. It's a big pot point in Tom's original script, and it's still oh, wow. there. It's still there that he used to bully him when they were in high school. Gotcha. And, mm-hmm. and he tries to beat him up. He doesn't know Debbie's watching. He tries to beat the, beat Martin up in the hallway when he sees Martin going back. To Martin still does mm-hmm. the thing where he goes to his old locker and tries to combo and opens it. <laughs> and he he decides, the bully decides, he's, uh, uh, which was based the name of the bully in the original script was a bully who picked on Tom when he was in first grade. Oh
1: <laughs> so, my!
2: Oh man! <laughs> no, no, I, I told you it was a catharsis. He doesn't forget. For
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: No, no, Tom did it. This is a complete catharsis, man. So when when he goes when he goes, remember when I used to kick your ass or something like that, and he tries to pick a fight with him by the locker, uh-huh. and Martin tells him, uh, he was the you know he was the owner of the dealership. The bully was the owner of the dealership,
0: mm-hmm. okay. and he
2: tells him something like, "I have enough money; I could buy all of your cars, and to drive them into the Detroit River." And then oh. he hits him. He, when the bully takes a swing, Martin blocks it, and because Martin's an international killer, he hits mm-hmm. him four or five times in the face before he knows what happened. You know, and he goes, "Happy days aren't here again," and you know, <laughs> and he, he leaves wow. him. He leaves him laying in the hall. You know, I liked uh, uh, the stuff with Fletcher. His feelings of innocence toward the children, they yeah. put into the baby at the prom, uh, mm-hmm. the baby at the reunion, which we thought was a good mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And by the way, that 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 scene, the reunion was shot at the same high school they shot Nightmare on Elm Street at. In oh, Greece. oh.
0: You know, I didn't know ooh. that. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, it's over by the Shakespeare Bridge. That wasn't near us. Monrovia, the whole strip playing Gross Point, playing, playing Grosse Point, was near us. So wow. if you want, remind me, Email me tonight, and I'll shoot you guys a picture of Tom with the sign. You we know,
1: would love that, that would be
0: awesome. Yeah, yeah. we would love <laughs> that. <Yeah.
1: laughs>
0: no, so we've we've just got one more question for you, and then then we'll let you uh, get back to your evening. We've taken enough but, of your time.
2: No, hey, Blake and Joe, you made my night. And then, again, <laughs> as, as a very proud little brother, I, I will never not want to say something. I will never not want to remember how great Tom was. You yeah. know? Well,
0: that's so that's what we you wanted God. to do. We we wanted to give you a chance to to talk about him and and with that in mind, uh, is there anything else about your brother or about the film itself that you'd like to end on? Well, it's funny
2: because certain things would just grab him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, um, and it was all to him. He just uh, he would the Mitch Ryan. He was so excited because yeah. yeah. Mitch Ryan playing Debbie's father looked exactly like how he wanted them to look. That's I awesome. remember. Tom goes, he'd always imagined, he goes, he'd always imagined Debbie is looking like Gwen Stacy from Spider-Man Comics. And he always mm-hmm. imagined her father as looking like Captain Stacy from Spider-Man Comics. And Mitch wow. Ryan looks just like Captain Stacy. So Tom mm-hmm. was thrilled. That's <laughs> awesome. Great. And he's great in
0: that role too.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's really. But he's he wonderfully underplays it. Another thing they changed, Martin now tells everyone he's a hitman, which he didn't originally. It was, it was mostly a secret that one I think uh, you know Debbie has a hard time with it and all that when yeah. they find out, you know,
0: which makes sense. And it,
2: yeah, and I remember Tom, so yeah, the, the 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 agents get killed who come after him, which like they do in the movie. They didn't. He was bothered by the ending when when he kills Grocer, who used to be Pincher, He was bothered. They stole the ending of Scream by smashing a TV on their heads. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: It was, yeah, it was originally a
2: knife fight. It was originally a knife fight at the end of the movie. But that, <laughs> that might have been too gross. That, that might have been too bloody for romantic. Oh, I'll tell you, you want to know the big change, actually. Yeah. The big change, yeah, and the climax. This uh he wanted this. Is the one thing I suggested and he used. He goes, How does a hitman he goes, how does the world's best hitman stop being a hitman? What would what would make him lose? And During the knife fight, I suggested Martin, this is my suggestion, and it's still a jaunty comedy. Martin loses an eye. And (laughs) then, yeah, when he's battling the Dan Ackroyd character, and when he and Debbie leave town, he has an eye patch. Oh, wow. (laughs) They borrowed. What was crazy is that ending got borrowed for when, when Tarantino wrote True Romance he killed He killed Christian Slater. And when they brought Roger Avery in to give a family-friendly friendly ending to it, it was still the jaunty tone. But Martin, because he has no depth perception, now can't shoot people. But uh, <laughs> but they took our ending. They took the ending he had for the script of Christian of Slater losing an eye and going off into the sunset with this girl. Originally, huh. originally, Christian Slater died.
0: Wow. And, uh.
2: And Tarantino begged Tarantino begged Tony Scott not to change the ending of the movie. He goes, mm-hmm. "Please, please, you made revenge. Revenge is the perfect ending." But of course, Tony Scott, who directed Top Gun, remembers revenge is the biggest bomb of his career. You know, when, <laughs> you know, when the girl's murdered by her angry husband. So oh, when that ending, when that ending went to True Romance. You know the the gross had the, the suddenly the new ending, but that was the most drastic change. The likable romantic comedy with the hero last his eye was not going to play with this. <laughs> 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 Although I heard that was one of the things that Keeper Southern liked the most. <laughs>
0: That's okay. awesome. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, Blake and for Joe, coming on, and,
2: man. And, and Blake and Joe, this meant the world to me. My sister and brother. My sister called today. And I go, yeah, and she goes, have you done the,
1: she kept going, make
2: sure you talk to them. Thank you so
1: much. The, the movie clearly has meant a lot to us and, and it means everything that you're able to. Give us a little he, bit more of behind the man talk, behind it. He would never talk to you,
2: but he'd be thrilled you were doing it. <laughs>
0: you know what? We'll
1: take,
2: he, we'll take it, we'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. He's way. He was way too shy for that. He'd be, he'd be incredibly thrilled that you guys were doing it. But he, would, wouldn't, he wouldn't overcome his shyness to talk. Which That's fair.
0: Weird.
2: As you see, the rest of the family has no problem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, thank you again so much. We, we, we appreciate you coming on and, and talking about, about Tom and the film and, and just sharing all these stories with us.
2: Blake and Joe, it was truly a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to So Gross, Such Point, Much Blank, part of the Film Inquiry Podcast Network. If you like what we do, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review. Every bit of feedback gives us the ability to expand our audience. Our podcast theme was created by Yawns. You can find his music and other projects at yawnsofficial.com. Our podcast outro music was created by Jeff Hansen. Our podcast artwork was created by Jeff Wiring. You can find us on Twitter at SoGrossPod. And you can find Joe on Twitter at J.A. George II, spelled I-I. Remember that this podcast is us breathing.